Hey guys, my name is Casey. And I'm Daniel. And we're a married couple who recently started a true crime podcast called Dancy True Crime. That's D-A-N-S-I True Crime. I enjoy myself some true crime, so we hope you do too. Come on over and check us out. We can't wait to see you guys there. We take turns on Who Tells the Story every week. Our episodes are posted every Monday at 12 p.m. Central Standard Time. To subscribe or follow, check us out on Anchor, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Pandora, and Stitcher. Oh, don't worry, guys. We have a couple other places here. We are also available on Facebook, TikTok, and the Instagram. Our podcast is for mature audiences only. See you guys soon. Bye. Bye. Warning, the following is intended for mature audiences only. Your discretion is advised. Hey guys, Casey here. I just wanted to remind you that if you want to see our research links or photos that we have, they will be posted on our Facebook page. They are posted at the same time as our podcast on Anchor and Spotify. That is every Monday at 12 p.m. Central Standard Time. So we hope to see you guys there. Hey guys, I just want to remind you to follow our Facebook page. Join our group. It is Dancy True Crime. That is D-A-N-S-I True Crime. And also, you can hear us on Anchor or Spotify. Please rate us and subscribe or follow um, and share our episodes. Message us on Facebook. Let us know what you think, what we could change, what we could do better. Um, you will, do you have anything you want to add, babe? No, I think you did it. You said it just perfect. So. <laughs> All right. Well, we hope you guys have a fantastic week and that you enjoy today's episode. We'll see you next week, guys. Bye. Hey, guys. I'm Casey. And I'm Daniel. And we are Dancy True Crime. And how are you today, Daniel? Doing good. Doing good. good. Do you have a good week? Yeah, I'm glad it's Friday, though. Oh, you and me both. <laughs> Well, for you guys, it's Monday. Right, right. <laughs> How about you? How are you doing today? I'm, I'm all right. Okay, I've good. got a big story, guys. Um, b- before we start, I do want to let you know there is talk of um, child molestation. And, yeah. Okay. So, if you can't handle hearing about it, so sorry, another... today's episode is not for you. Another heavy one. It is. It okay. this one I got a lot of details and it's very um oh, I'm excited. It's a very hard hard episode. So All right. It really hits home. Today's episode is kind of a wild ride, so just try to sit back, relax, and enjoy the ride. Okay, well where are we going to today? So we are going to California. Ooh. Okay. So, Today, we're going to talk about the Stainer family. So, the parents of the Stainer family were Kay and Delbert Stainer. They had three girls who were Jody, Cindy, and Corey. Corey was the baby of all the five kids because they had two boys, which was Carrie and Stephen. Okay. Today's part of the story is going to go around... Mostly around Stephen. Got you. Stephen Stainer is a little boy. This is him. If you are listening to our podcast, we will be having them on our Facebook page. So you'll be able to see them, which you can find that in our link tree, which is in the show notes. So this is Stephen Stainer at seven years old. Okay. As little kids, you know, they would ride their bikes up and down the street in like a very safe neighborhood. Um, and like Kay Stainer, which was the mom, would always pick him up from school. On December 4th of 1972, she was picking something up from the hardware store and was running kind of late. 
Um, and by the time she got to the school, Stephen already decided he was going to walk home. Oh. So, and I, again, this is Merced, California. So, like, according to them, it was a pretty decent neighborhood. Yeah. So, like, he wasn't out of school. So, she went home and he wasn't there either. Um, and then after a few hours, they really started to panic. So, they decided to call the police. Okay. Why they waited a few hours when he's seven years old. Maybe figured that he was hanging out with some friends there in the neighborhood or something. Right, but seven years old, I have a seven-year-old, and she could be missing for 20 minutes, and I would be I would be freaking. Right. So, not knowing where my baby is, is would be, no, I don't. You gotta know. Yeah, I gotta know where my kids are at all times. Yeah. <laughs> so, anyway, he started walking home. He wasn't home. You know, parents panicked and finally called the police, which after that they searched the neighborhood and canvassed it. So, in the meantime, like this is what happened. This is why he disappeared. Okay. Okay. He was in second grade and he was seven years old and he was walking home from school and he got to a, just a few blocks away from home. And he was approached by a man named Irvin Murphy, and he was soliciting for charity donations and handing out religious pamphlets. He had asked Stephen if his mother had anything that they could donate to the church. And Stephen was like, yeah, (laughs) you know, he's seven. He doesn't know any better. Right. Um. He had been taught to respect adults in authority, but wasn't really well-versed in, like, the dangers of talking to strangers. Right. And, I mean, since he wasn't, like, well-versed in the stranger danger, uh, he gum- got in the preacher's car because he promised him he would take him home um, so that they could talk to his mother about the donations. And... In the driver's seat was another man, and his name was Kenneth Parnell, and he was driving. Kenneth was a convicted sex offender at the time. Oh, gosh. Which he did not register, by the way, ever, even though he was a convicted sex offender, and he was ordered to register. He just never did. Oh, wow. And back then, was it as big of a thing as it is these days where you have to make sure and... I feel like it was always supposed to be that way, and they didn't. Okay. Um, but like back then it wasn't as big of a thing. Notice my air quotes, YouTube. (laughs) Um, so he, Kenneth had problems from an early age, so much so that even psychologists said that he needed some serious mental health. And he spent years in and out of juvenile detention centers before serving three and a half years in adult prison, lewd behavior with a child. He also had convictions for armed robbery and impersonating a police officer. So do we know at what point did this happen prior to the kidnapping? Yes. Okay. So that's what he had at the time of the kidnapping. Okay. So it was pretty so fresh. So had, basically, had the state and the police did their job, then, you know, he would have already been behind bars for not registering. Okay. In my opinion. I mean, that's not, you know. Right. Um, for all I know, he was in hiding. But, I mean, he had jobs, so I don't understand. You know what I'm yeah. saying? So... Parnell had convinced Irvin Murphy, which was the guy who actually got him to the car. Okay. um, That had stopped him on the road. Parnell convinced Murphy that he wanted to become a minister and that he needed to abduct a boy to raise a, in a religious type deal and wanted to raise, quote, an underprivileged child. So he wanted to basically take care of a kid that wasn't his and supposedly give him a better life oh wow so they had actually originally met while working together at yosemite national park 
And people, a lot of people would describe Murphy as naive, simple-minded, and a trusting person. So he just kind of went with the flow of things and did what he was told. Um, So convincing him of something so horrible, thinking it was a good thing, wasn't very hard to do. Yeah. Parnell had Murphy handing out the pamphlets to the boys on their way home from schools. Stephen just happened to be the first one who agreed to help. He had gotten in the car thinking he was going home, and they passed the road that they were supposed to turn on to go to his home. When he had asked about it, they told him that they would call his parents and see if he could stay the night. And then they proceeded to drive him to Kathy's Valley, which here I have a map, which is on our Facebook page. So here's Merced County or Merced town where they lived right here. This is where they initially drove him, which was 31 minutes or 25 miles away. Wow. Yeah. So this is where you need to skip over like the next few, the next 30 seconds. If you don't want to hear about this, um, this is where it starts getting hard. Parnell had committed the first of countless sexual assaults the very next morning. Wait. The next morning? The next morning. Oh. Yeah. Okay. Well, Um, continue. Not only would he... He would also force him to allow him to sodomize him. No. No. Yeah. As you say, you do not touch the you do not touch a child no matter what. Yeah, you do no. not touch the tiny humans. No. So the second night, they said that they called his parents and then they said that he could stay again, which obviously didn't happen. They were out searching for the child. But they had him convinced that Yeah, typically a 7-year-old you can convince them to do almost anything. Pretty much. Right. And that's the scary thing. Yeah. Um, so he stayed the night again. On the third day, Parnell told Stephen that he had gone to the court and got into possession of him and that he was his. He told the boy that the Stainers could not afford him and that they granted Parnell legal custody. From then on, he was no longer known as Stephen, but as Dennis Gregory Parnell. All right, I got to stop you. I got a question now. Go for it. Okay, so in today's standards and back, what, 40 years ago almost, I know it would be different, but it would take more than three days to be able to get custody of a child. Unless exactly. You well, do... yes, but a seven-year-old's not going to know right. that. Right. It's just still, it's hard to believe that. Yeah. I mean, maybe a seven-year-old these days might understand that, but it, that wasn't a thing back then. Right. I just trying to get my head wrapped around this and i mean kids know so much more now oh yeah yeah than they did did then shoot back then though yeah kids were be able to run around doing this and everything else they're exactly allowed to do that these days no you gotta be more careful even more careful yeah you can't let the you can't let the kids out of your sight these days because it's just not yeah it's not safe all right. Well, so, sorry about that little... No, you're fine. <laughs> he had him so convinced that he had adopted him that a week later, Stephen was already calling him dad. That poor child. Yeah. So <sighs> the abuse escalated over the first few weeks and continued for years. Um, and when Stephen would cry for his parents... Parnell had told him that his parents didn't even want him anymore. That's, and unfortunately, that's how they get you. That's how they keep you. Yeah, and uh, again, a seven-year-old's not going to know the difference. No. So, yeah. Also, this is going to get all of you, okay? Are you ready for this? All right. Less than a month after his abduction, he was enrolled into school under the name of Dennis, and Parnell was acting like his father. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. 
and with being 30 miles away, so... But you would think that, you know, that's only 30 miles. Did the news not stretch 30 miles? Like, the parents were really trying. They they... were trying to get it in the papers and on the news and everything for the whole time. So, yeah, you would think... And it was like, for a while, he would... You know, be on the you know, right. Like something would happen with a case, and it would go on the front page, and then it would only be there for a day or two, and then so you know, any of your research just... did it say anything though about them trying to spread it even further out? Like, do you know if it made national news or anything? I mean, well, maybe not necessarily national, but at least statewide. You would think, yeah, you would really think, um. So, wow, and they had been sending flyers out to all of the schools, but they did not send them to the school he was enrolled at. Is it one of those things where it was like, oops, we forgot, or oops, or was it just? Um, I think that it was more or less they were doing it within like a certain radius. Oh, um, so yeah. That's... They didn't believe that he was really, really necessary in danger. I mean, obviously, they thought he was in some kind of danger because he was abducted. Right. But, like, they thought that he was abducted by somebody who wanted to raise a child because they couldn't have one. So, they thought that he was safe, but not where he was supposed to be safe at. There's just so much, so many questions that this stuff's just not adding up. Yeah, yeah. I listen so. to too much crime junkie. I know some of the ins and <laughs> outs. So I'm just. So <sighs> over the next few years, Stephen and Parnell moved around California, mostly like central and northern California. And um, he went to Steel Lane Elementary. But again, they didn't receive those flyers. So. Um, Parnell had a series of jobs that he didn't really need any skill for. To anyone outside the home he had shared with Stephen, um, they were just a normal father and son. Nobody knew the difference. I mean, he changed how he, like, he dyed his hair, you know? So, like, he looked different. All right, well, hold on. Another question then. With him going to a new school with being sexually abused, he didn't say anything to anything teachers was i know at that age it's you don't want to even though it was only i like it wasn't even a month um parnell had him so manipulated oh gosh like he had so many opportunities to escape but he's too scared to and he I, i mean he did escape one time and he got out to the road and he didn't know where it was. So like he, he, was just he stuck. got he got he didn't know how to find anything and you know they were in the middle of nowhere. So it's like he he got scared, so he went back. And yeah, he went Barnell worked. So Steven was there a lot by himself. No telephone to call nine one one or anything. Well He was again, he was so manipulated. <sighs> You know, and he thought that his family didn't want him, so... He just... He basically gave up in a way. Not necessarily. I wouldn't say that he gave up. He just lost the will, maybe? Because he did survive, and he he did get to go home. Okay. But we'll get to that. All right. <laughs> there is a happy ending that ends in a really sad ending on this part of the thing. So the way that Parnell would manipulate Steven was he would maintain a fine fine line like a hairline um, between complete control and total freedom. Dang. So he gave Steven a dog which to seven year olds that's oh, a, yeah. oh my gosh you love me so much thank you you right. know. So he never told anyone the horrors that he was subjected to by the man pretending to be his father. Okay. Nobody knew. Nobody knew. So um, Parnell would allow Stephen to live pretty much without boundaries. And he he was got to the point where he was convinced that he would stay loyal. 
Yeah. So at some point they moved to Comchi, California, which was 260 miles away from home. Yeah. So this point he's in high school. So this is, you know, five, six years, four, five, six years later. Okay. And he was like described by his teachers and his friends that he was really, really, really quiet and shy. And sometimes they would say that it was like scarily quiet. So, um, any, but again, he didn't manage to make friends and he even had a girlfriend. Oh, wow. Yeah, but he didn't tell anybody. He didn't tell he had, anyone. He had the opportunities. He, he Again, he was so manipulated. Right. But, uh, I mean, eventually he did tell a story. As soon as he got away, he told a story. Now, but we'll get to that. <laughs> now, how did he do in school? I know you said he was shy, but like for grade-wise, was he able to I at mean, least... He, he had good grades because, I mean, he was in football. Okay. So he did sports. He was pretty well known. Mm. and Okay. So. um, Oh, Parnell would allow him to drive on the property and would allow him to smoke cigarettes and marijuana. So. At that young age of 13 or 14. Yeah. And his friends would say that he barely had any clothes and all of his socks were like, had holes in them. Yeah. But yeah, this dude says that he loves his so-called kid, but yeah, he's not even getting him clothes that is actually going to do him justice. Right. Right. Like he had like three pairs of pants and like three shirts. And holy socks. And holy socks. (laughs) so and it was known amongst his friends to meet him at the end of the driveway because you just didn't go to his house Parnell wouldn't allow anybody there just because of stuff that he was hiding or do we will we find out that later I mean they thought it was just one of those things where like some parents are just like that so they didn't really question it. Okay. As Stephen aged, he grew out of Barnell's per- sick, disgusting, preferred age. So he was getting too old. So that's almost one thing that kind of saved him. Yeah. Getting to that point. Yeah. Okay. Um. He was told, Stephen was told to try to help him abduct another boy for Parnell. Oh, gosh. Yeah. And Stephen would intentionally sabotage the kidnapping attempts. He didn't want somebody else to go through what he's no. going through. I wouldn't either. Um, but he did it to prevent somebody else from going through what he went through. Well, that's good. that he's He's trying. Yeah, so Parnell then bribed one of Stephen's teenage friends, who was Sean Poorman, to help him kidnap a kid, a little blonde boy, that he had had his eye on in Ukiah, or Ukia, I'm not sure which it is. I just say Ukiah. Ukiah, California, um, which was... 40 miles away from where they lived at the time. They had planned to lure the boy to the car, pretending to need assistance, but the little boy said no. Poor men, which again was one of Stephen's uh, teenage friends, had chased the poor little boy until they reached a chain fence. And he pried the boy's tiny little fingers from the fence as he screamed in terror. And yet again, if this is midday, nobody yeah. around. What? So, like, he made a scene, but there was nobody around to, to be able to hear him. And why there was a five-year-old boy. Just chilling? Yeah. Um, But his parents were... Oh, shit. So, okay. 
He threw him into Parnell's car, and they sped off. The little boy was five-year-old Timmy White. Poor Timmy. So, and I think that he was just, like, playing on the street, you know, like, near their home. You know, because the fence that he had got to was his own fence. You gotta be kidding me. Yeah. So, his parents were absolutely terrified. And, again, despite the frenzied abduction, no one saw a thing. So, appeals were broadcast, flyers were distributed, and searches were launched. But Timmy was already gone. Parents, keep an eye on your kids. I would never let a five-year-old play outside. At least not these days. Maybe back, again, back then it might have been different. No. Yeah. I better like going out and taking out the trash and leaving the kids in the house. So at this point, Stephen was with Parnell for seven years. Just like he'd done to Stephen, Parnell wasted zero time in changing Timmy's appearance. He dyed the boy's hair brown. Again, he was a blonde headed boy. I mean,. If you know my kids, you know that my son is blonde. Oh, yeah. He would look completely different with brown hair. Oh, yeah. Completely different. Um, But he changed his hair to brown, and he um, changed his style of clothing and stuff. And he renamed him, but it didn't really say what what his name was. Okay. And he started telling Timmy the same lies he told Stephen. So, it was hearing Timmy being told the same things that made Stephen realize just how bad things had been. He knew Timmy had a family missing him, and he thought maybe he did too. Timmy had cried for his parents every day. Oh, gosh. Stephen made sure that he was home early from school every day so that he Parnell couldn't abuse him. Um, like he had done to Steven. Um, he did he was protecting him. He didn't want him to go through the same pain that he went through. Right. Um, and then two weeks after Timmy had been abducted, they left Parnell's home together while he was working as a night shift as a security worker. So he up and got that little boy the heck Good. out of there. Okay. So they hitchhiked over forty miles back to Ukiah. California, um, trying to find Timmy's home. Um, Stephen often carried Timmy, who was tired and crying, crying because it was like raining and it was storming, and that's forty miles. Right. That's, you know, the, that's the, a long he's, haul. he's a five-year-old little boy. Right. So um, they searched and tried to find Timmy's home. But Timmy could not remember where he lived, and no one was home at his babysitter's house. So, Stephen somehow looked up the address to the local police station and took him there. And phone he walked, booth. He walked him there hand in hand. Probably a phone booth, because Right, those but were... if he went to a phone booth, wouldn't he have called 911? You would think. So, who knows where he got the phone booth to be able to look up the address? I don't know. But he did. He was able to look up the address, and he walked in there holding his hand. Um, they got to the police station around midnight on March 1st of 1980, and Stephen told Timmy to go inside and to tell the policeman his name and that they would bring him home to his parents, which obviously they did. Yes. So Timmy was frightened and didn't want Stephen to leave. He ran back to him sobbing because obviously that's been his safe haven for the past two weeks. Right. Um, and I mean, he doesn't know these police officers. No. He, you know, he's scared. He's five. So he, you know, ran back up to him sobbing when a police officer had approached them. Oh. So, and obviously Stephen's like this, like the first thing he said, like when they asked him what his name is, was, 
I know my first name is Steven. Yeah. He had been gone for literally half of his life. Right. He was seven when he was abducted and he was gone for seven years. But all he could remember was that his first name was Steven at that point. So they showed up to Steven's parents' house at three in the morning to tell him that he was found, but told him, hey, you guys can't go yet. We still got to, you know, talk to him and make sure, you know, get him medical care, make sure he's okay. I'm just, how did they find it? who his parents was that's i mean he said his name was steven they probably did a search you know and in the still... database and was like okay boys you know boys from california who have been missing for seven years named steven and that's probably the first thing that popped up but yet again though how long do they usually keep that stuff on record i mean when it's in newspapers and stuff you know you just gotta find that one detective that's gonna keep looking because i mean they found him pretty quickly yeah i mean maybe he remembered where he was from you know it's hard to say um so steven was finally returned home on march 2nd of 1980 and this is a photo of steven this is steven and this is uh little timmy they almost look like they could be related yeah like biologically in those two weeks, they became very close. Okay. So, again, those are on our Facebook page, and you can get to our fa- Facebook page through our link tree down in the show notes. So, when they searched the home, they did find pictures of a younger Stephen in the nude in the cabin that they searched. This was a cabin. That is pretty beat up. Yeah. And it was like a one-room cabin. Again, these photos are on our Facebook page. That just makes it even worse, being one-bedroom. And And it gets worse um, on what happens because this this part makes me so mad. I'm angry, okay? So prepare yourself because this is very maddening, especially for a parent. Okay. Okay. This part is what makes me really mad. Are you ready, guys? I don't think that you are, but here we go. All right. Okay. So, over the course of his separate trials, Parnell's defense attorney stated that Stephen could have left at any time, but he chose not to. So, they used the manipulation that Parnell did to Stephen against him. Um, they said that the kidnapping occurred before ca- before California's three-year statute of limitations, and therefore, he could not be prosecuted for the offense. Now, he got seven years for the kidnapping of Timmy, and because he had already gotten that and got the max sentence for that, he could not be, like have another seven year sentence so he only got another 20 months yeah so did he end up serving the full seven years and then the two and a half or it'd be like a year and a half i'm getting there okay so prosecutors had argued that steven was a psychological prisoner which obviously he was he was so manipulated And the kidnapping was a continuous event for the entire seven years. So, side note, while he was gone before he came home, Delbert Stainer, which again was Stephen's father, became really mean towards the other kids and his wife during the time that Stephen was missing because he was going crazy without his boy. Even still, though, it doesn't matter how much you miss a child. Don't take it out on your spouse and those other children. They don't deserve it. He was hurting so bad he did not realize what he was doing. And even after Stephen came home, he was trying to treat Stephen like he was still a seven-year-old boy, and he wasn't. See, that I I can see that it would be hard, too. And that was really hard for him, too. Yeah. But anyway, a psychologist testified that Parnell would switch between violent sexual abuse and extraordinary freedom. So he would kind of go back and forth like a typical narcissist. 
And that's basically, yeah. You know, he would violently abuse him sexually, and then give him whatever he wanted, and let him do whatever he wanted, let him do whatever he wanted. So he was so effectively brainwashed into thinking that he had no other option but to stay. So, and that was what a psychologist said. Okay. So he had come come to believe that the life he had with his abuser was the only life that he would ever have. And he didn't know that his family was searching for him or even cared because he was so brainwashed that that's what he honestly believed. Irvin Murphy, which was the vulnerable man that Parnell convinced to kidnap Stephen, was convicted of kidnapping. So we're going to backtrack a little bit. So when they went to the police station and they got little Timmy inside, they had got Stephen to come inside um, and he eventually did tell a story, like I said. Right. Um, and early the next morning, Kenneth Parnell was arrested on suspicion of abducting both children, which obviously he did. Um, police realized that he had previ- previous convictions of sodomy, but he had never been suspected of anything because he never registered as a sex offender. Um, the following summer, Parnell was convicted of kidnapping Stephen and Timothy White. Sean Poorman, who assisted in the kidnapping of Timothy White, was convicted and sentenced to time in a juvenile correctional facility. Kenneth Parnell was not charged with hundreds of sexual assaults he committed against Stephen Stanner and the other boy because they occurred outside of the jurisdiction of the Merced County Prosecutor and took place outside of the Statue of Limitations. Yeah. I can see the Statue of Limitations on Stephen before... Oh, wait for it. Okay. Um... You're about to find out how long, how long he spent in prison for this, okay? Uh, okay. I know, I know. Trust me, I know. This case, this part of the case made me so <sighs> mad, okay? All right, shoot then. So, they... The Mendocino County prosecutors, acting mostly entirely alone, uh, decided not to prosecute Parnell for the sexual sexual assaults that occurred in their jurisdiction. By the end of it, Parnell was only sentenced eight years and eight months in prison for one count of kidnapping and eight months for the other. That's... Mm. Yeah. Wait for it. He went to prison in February of 1982, but he was released in parole on in April of 1985. Three years. Three years. He didn't even serve as much time as poor Steven did. Yeah. Half the amount of time as I can. Not have. even. Right. So, yeah. Poor Steven did not get justice. The legislation surrounding kidnapping victims charged after this case to ensure offenders serve consecutive sentences for each offense. So, Stephen managed to move forward with his life and supported other victims, and he had a family of his own, and he had a wife named Jody. Ooh. So, unfortunately, this is where the sad part comes in, guys, so get your tissues ready. It's, it's kind of hard right here. So, on September 16th of 1989, so this is only like seven years later, Steven was working in a pizza restaurant, and he was eager to get home to his family. It was raining really bad, so it was, like, storming, and his boss offered him the company truck to save him from getting wet. But instead, fearing he would get in trouble for driving without a license, he got onto his motorbike. In that kind of weather? No. 
No. Yeah. On his way home, a car pulled out from a side road and hit him. And Stephen was driving the bike below the speed limit, but he was not wearing a helmet. And unfortunately, he was pronounced dead less than an hour later. Oh, my gosh. Ten years later after he came home. But... Yeah, he unfortunately died at 24 years old, um, less than an hour after the accident. He had two kids, a daughter named Ashley, and he had a son named Stephen Jr., who, by the way, talked very highly of him. I will tell you at the end what that is, what where you can watch what I watched. It was very informative. It had his parents, his siblings, his teachers from when he was abducted. Grandmother? Um, Our mother? I, his yeah, mom and dad, both okay. his children, his siblings. 500 people attended his funeral. Four wow. days, Yeah, four days after he had passed. I mean, he was so, he knew, from the time he came home, it was like paparazzi. Yeah, paparazzi like they never left him alone his life was so publicized after that it's not even funny so i mean everybody was there okay um but he had it they had his funeral four days later in a church that he had joined not long before he died one of his pallbearers though was now 14 year old timmy white oh yeah, he saved him, and they became very close. And that's awesome. That two weeks, and yeah, Timmy said, "Hey, I got you, brother." Yeah, that's that's very sweet. Yeah, that is awesome. So the inscription on Stephen's casket read, "Quote going home," unquote. He finally just that was his final resting place, his home. Jeez. Yeah. He lived a very, very short, very troubled life. And was, it was something that wasn't even his fault. He was just getting started. Yeah. And he was moving on with his life. He was he was a very good father. He was, you know He got past everything. He was a very good father, very good husband. His wife is in the show too. Oh. Um so Timmy was able to have a relatively normal life thanks to Stephen's bravery. Thank you, Stephen. <laughs> yes. So he actually became a L.A. County Sheriff Department deputy. Ooh, nice. And he also married and had two children. Congratulations. Unfortunately, on April 1st of 2010, at the age of 35, he passed away from a pulmonary embolism. So, two people who went through hell together both passed way too early. Way too early. So, um, after Kenneth had gotten out of prison... He kind of stayed under the radar for a little while. Of and course. then, right. I mean, yeah. You better. I mean, what you did, people probably want your head. Right. Um, so, in January of 2003, he did it again, trying to convince somebody, which was a nurse this time, to kidnap a boy for him for $500. Oh, here we go. But... But the nurse did the right thing and turned him in. Good. And since he was, you know, right, already convicted of what he was convicted of, he and he was already a felon, he was sentenced to 25 to life in California's three strikes law for solicitation to commit a felony. So at that point, he was 72 years old. And, and still trying to do all this? Yeah. And Timothy White had actually testified at his at his trial. Mm. And Stephen's earlier transcript was read out to the juror, jurors. So even though Stephen had already passed away at that point, they still were able to 
use some of that stuff as evidence. You know, use yeah, use that as evidence against him as well as Timothy's white Timothy White's testimony. Oh my goodness. So unfortunately, Parnell had only served less than four years of that sentence when he died in January two thousand eight. It doesn't say how he died, I imagine it's just age because he was 72 when he got arrested good riddance so 72 years old he was still trying to do stuff but he finally gets caught and he only sends four years in prison when he dies so he was 76 when he died okay so a total he only literally spent what seven years between the between seven and eight years yeah yeah around seven because he he wasn't in there quite four years when he died. It didn't say when he died. Right. And then the first go around, he was only in well, there for. Well, you know, January 2008. But... Right. So in 2010, a statue commemorating Stephen's bravery was unveiled in his hometown of Merced. And it depicts a teenage Stephen hand in hand with five year old Timothy White, just as they had been when they escaped their capture 30 years earlier the statue is dedicated to steven's courage and to all the children who are missing in hope that one day they too could come home which that's a good message yes it is um so steven's family asked for a park to be named stainer park in his honor but the council did not accept this and feared that the community would associate the park with another stainer who was Stephen's older brother and convicted serial killer, Carrie Stainer. All right, so you can't just let me hang in like that. What, what's he getting convicted of? When did all this go down? I guess you'll have to find out in two weeks when everybody else has to find out. Because next week, we have our Valentine's episode. Yes. Our Valentine's special. Yes, we do. That you are doing. Yes. And then in two weeks, we will talk about Carrie Stanner. Still, though, it is not fair. Well, <laughs> I don't know what to tell you. It's all right. It's all right. Because I'm not talking about him today. It's all right. If you want to do kind of a deep dive, there's a mini series on this uh, episode on Hulu, which also ends in his brother Carrie. But you, you know, that's up to you if you want to listen, watch that before you listen. Um, so the show on Hulu is called Captive Audience: A Real American Horror Story. And what did you think about that? Did it portray it pretty well? Did it? So it's kind of like a documentary. That's where um, like his wife and his parents and his siblings and his kids and friends and teachers and his first girlfriend and all of that. All, they're all on there, you know, talking about it was a full how, how things went. And, you know, so that has a lot of information in there. Um. And then, of course, there's also the websites that I had researched, okay, um, which will be in the show notes and on our Facebook page. So sounds good. Yeah, what do you think about that though? About that, the Stephen part of the case? That's that's very interesting because I was watching a little bit of this with you tonight, and it looked like there was there a movie also. Okay, so the movie's actually called "I Know My Name Is Stephen." Okay, so. And that is like a mini series on like it's basically something that was um, acted out on what actually happened okay with the Stanner brothers. So, but it's called I know my first name is Steven. Okay. So definitely uh, interesting. But yes, next week we have our Valentine special. Yes, so we can get away from some of the sick demented. Child. We're still talking about true crime, but it's it's gonna, um, be, it's gonna be different. Yeah, so. it, it's gonna be a completely different kind of episode. Right. So. I, I'm definitely I'm ready to get away from a little bit of what we've been doing, and yeah, even though it's just all, just for one episode, guys. Right. Right. Valentine's murders. There's probably gonna be just a couple, a handful. You know, 
I don't want to give too much, so you'll just have to stick around and see what we have in store for you guys. Yeah, and tune in next Monday at 12 p.m. Central Standard Time for the Valentine's. Yes. Anyway, so we have a couple announcements to make. So first off, we got our first shirt. Yes. And it is from Reaper Apparel Co. There we go. go. And we have a 10% off link that you can find in our link tree, which is down below. And as long as you use our promo code Danzy True Crime, D-A-N-S-I True Crime, you can get that 10% off and enjoy your Reaper Apparel Co. T-shirts, hoodies, stickers, I believe a couple mugs. So hats. Hats. Yeah. So they got all kinds of stuff on there. Go check it out. They are constantly want. dropping new stuff. They just dropped a whole new line. Ooh, very nice. So, yeah, put so, it in your cart. Put in that promo code. Click on that link. Down below. Type in Dancy True Crime as promo code and order whatever you want. And you get it 10% off. So awesome. We have a huge announcement coming. Yes. Soon, very soon. And we're stoked about it. So did you have anything you wanted to add? Not tonight. Okay. So with all that being said, I guess we will see you guys next week for the Valentine's episode. And then in two weeks, we'll return for part two. Uh, yeah. Uh, this is one for Carrie Stainer. Yep. Awesome. So, so we will see you guys the day before Valentine's Day with your Valentine's special. Valentine's murders. Woohoo! My bloody Valentine. <laughs> so, we hope that you guys have an incredible week, and we shall see you then next week again my name is casey i'm daniel and you've been listening to dancy true crime bye hey guys i just want to remind you to follow our facebook page join our group it is dancy true crime that is d-a-n-s-i true crime And also, you can hear us on Anchor or Spotify. Please rate us and subscribe or follow um, and share our episodes. Message us on Facebook. Let us know what you think, what we could change, what we could do better. Um, Do you have anything you want to add, babe? No, I think you did it. You said it just perfect. (laughs) All right. Well, we hope you guys have a fantastic week and that you enjoy today's episode. We'll see you next week, guys. Bye. Hey, guys. Casey here. I just wanted to remind you that if you want to see our research links or photos that we have, they will be posted on our Facebook page. They are posted at the same time as our podcast on Anchor and Spotify. That is every Monday at 12 p.m. Central Standard Time. So we hope to see you guys there.